Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. This sermon is entitled, Church In or Out. This doesn't happen often, but the Lord uh, changed what he wanted me to talk to you about today. I had an idea at the beginning of the week what I wanted to share with you. And as I got sat down to prepare my message, like I always do, I just felt like the Holy Spirit shifted me and wanted me to talk about something different. It took me in, in a little bit of a different direction. So if you don't like today's message, you can take it up with the Lord because he, he changed it on me uh, at the beginning of the week. Um, I have spoken to so many people over the years that grew up in church but are no longer attending. I've had many conversations with singles, married people, people who are married with kids that for one reason or another decided that the church gathering was not for them anymore. I've talked to many people that love Jesus but are turned off to church. Maybe you have experienced that in your life before. Maybe you just recently started to come to our church but before that you were in this boat where you love Jesus you wanted a relationship with Jesus, but you, you were just turned off to everything about the church. And I'm concerned about what kind of nation we're going to leave our children and grandchildren if the church gathering becomes more and more a thing of the past. I'm concerned about the moral standards we're going to leave for the next generation. I'm concerned about what's going to be acceptable and not acceptable in our culture if more and more people decide that church is not an important part of their lives. I am burdened for the next generation. I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, and I am burdened for what kind of nation, what kind of world, what kind of culture we're going to leave them to lead. I want the next generation to be more radical for Jesus than this generation. I want them to do bigger and bolder things for God than our generation ever did. I want them to accomplish more for the kingdom than what this current generation will accomplish. I want our ceiling of what God does through us to be the floor that they stand on. I don't want them to take what we have accomplished and completely obliterate it because they have no standards, they have no values, they have no convictions. I want them to take what we give them and I want them to multiply it and increase it. I deeply, deeply desire this for our TGP kids that are back there in children's church right now. According to one Barna research study, 48% of Americans are post-Christian, which is defined as someone who identifies as atheist or agnostic and do not participate in Bible reading, prayer, or church attendance. And in a city like ours, New York City, that number of post-Christian Christians drastically goes up. I've also noticed overall that even people who say they are followers of Jesus seem not to be committed to the local church. Studies have shown that someone who considers themselves a regular attender, an active member of the local church, attends one to two times a month. When 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, the average regular attender would attend two to three times a week. 
So why don't more people go to church? Why don't more people who consider themselves followers of Jesus go to church? Why isn't the church gathering more of a priority in our culture? And why is it becoming less and less and less a priority in our culture? This is something that I think about all the time. I am constantly thinking about how can we make church more relatable and, and connect with people outside of the four walls of the church that are, that are far from God. Maybe the, the, the ones that, that have grown up in church, but for one reason or another, they, 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 they are turned off to the church or those that are, you know, they have a relationship with Jesus and they're following the Lord, but they just can't seem to make church a priority in their lives. I, I, this is something I think about all the time. And like I mentioned, this is something that is a tremendous burden on my heart, especially I'm very invested because I have two young children as well. So here's two reasons to those questions that I just posed. Number one, the reason why church is not more of a priority in our culture is our individualistic views, our individualistic views. I just finished reading a book called Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes. And in that book, the authors talk about how one of the common reasons Westerners misread scriptures because we as Americans are part of an individualistic society or culture and the Bible was written to a collectivist culture. And so we view the Bible through the lens of our own experience and through the lens of our own upbringing. And so sometimes subconsciously we misread scripture and, the con and we take scripture out of context. And so here's what the authors say about the collectivist culture. In a collectivist culture, which the, the, the culture the Bible was written in, uh, uh, many cultures today are, are a part of a collectivist culture. The, 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 where, where my parents are from, India, that is a predominantly culture, uh, uh, collectivist culture. And so here's what they say. In a collectivist culture, the most important entity is the community. It's the family, the tribe, or the country, and not the individual. Preserving the harmony of the community is everyone's primary goal and is perceived as much more important than the self-expression or self-fulfillment of the individual. A person's identity comes not from distinguishing himself from the community, but in knowing and faithfully fulfilling his or her place. That is a drastic difference from how we are raised. Here in America, we are all about the individual. And let me say this, I love America, and I am so glad that I live in America, but we're not perfect, okay? Uh, and so here in America, we are all about the individual. We value our individual rights. In fact, I'd say that our most important value as citizens of this nation is our individual rights. Okay, our identity comes from distinguishing ourselves from everybody else. The highest honor in this sort of culture is being true to oneself. Yeah. In other words, I have the right to marry whoever I want to marry. I have the right to date whoever I want yeah. to date. Okay, my parents, they had an arranged marriage in the sense that my mom went to her mom and said, I'm attracted to this guy, could you talk to his parents? And so my parents only had one date, and then they got married. And they got married and moved to America, okay? And they've been married for, next year will be 40 years, okay? 
Um, growing up, I used to bash that idea of marriage. I was like, how can you know that you love someone? I want to choose someone that I love. I want to get to know the person before I marry them. That is so stupid. And I don't know. And I used to bash it until I realized how much of a mess America has made out of relationships. Right. I mean, and I'm not advocating for arranged marriage, but what I am advocating for is get input, get advice, bring people into your dating relationship and, and, and people that are further along than you and say, what do you think? Do you see any red flags? Uh, what, you know, you've already been married for, for this amount of time. What did you do when you struggled with this? Instead of just saying, you know what, I love who I love and, and I'm going to do what I want to do. Okay. We could save ourselves a lot of heartache if we would implement some of these things. But because we Americans value our individual rights so strongly, we feel like we have a right to date whoever we want, regardless of what those whom we love and appreciate and value, regardless of what they think. I have a right to say whatever I want to say, regardless of how it makes anyone else feel. Because it's my feelings, it's my right to say whatever I want to say, and how it affects anybody else does not matter. I have a right to express myself in any way I feel. I have a right to act in any way I feel like, regardless of how it impacts or affects those around me. These are individualistic societal values that, man, we have taken these, and there's some good to it, but we have taken it to the, to the extreme, okay? And we view these things because we feel like I'm special, I'm unique, and I am valuable. And why wouldn't people feel this way? We get trophies today in Little League even if we finish last place, right? And so we get this reinforced all throughout our childhood. And so we grow up living in this individualistic way and we start to uh, we, we start to view Scripture in this way and our faith walk in this way. As Americans... We, and including myself, we want everything to tailor fit our individual needs, don't we? We don't just want a car. We want a custom car. We don't just want a home. We want a custom home. We don't just want a church. We want a custom church that fits our every individual needs, wants, and desires, don't we? How many of you have ever heard someone say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian? You guys ever? Maybe you've said that. Or I like Jesus. I just don't like the church. You ever heard someone say that before? Maybe you've said that before. Uh, because we are part of an individualistic culture, we believe that our relationship with Jesus is only personal. Wow. We think it's only about me and Jesus. Me and Jesus against the world. What I do, what I believe, that's all that matters, and no one else around me, it doesn't matter. Okay? It's because of this individualistic view that has seeped into our faith walk. That is why we have so many people say they can watch a preacher online at home and that's, that's okay for them and that's enough for them. But saying I don't need to go to church in order to be a Christian is like saying I don't need to exercise in order to be healthy. Did, did, let, let me repeat that. Saying I don't need to go to church in order to be a Christian is like saying I don't need to exercise in order to be healthy. Because you know this, no one in their right mind watches someone else exercise and then say to themselves, man, that was a great workout. I think I just lost five pounds. You know what I'm saying? Man, I feel the burn. I, I just watched somebody 
exercise. I just watched someone run five miles. I just watched someone uh, uh, do the exercise bike, and man, I can tell I'm shredding pounds off of me. If someone said that, you would think they were insane. But people who claim to be Christians, they think this way. I can watch someone else have church, and it's the same as if I show up and I am part of a living, active, loving community of believers. Okay? When Raymond was in the hospital, we had several people in our church okay, go and visit him in the hospital and pray for him and, and, and get him meals and all those things. If he just sat at home and listened to some preacher at home on his computer, I guarantee you no one from that church was going to go visit him in that hospital. But because he is a part of a loving, active community of believers, when someone is in trouble, we go to help them. So this mentality also causes us to read the Bible through an individualistic lens. And the problem with this is that in the New Testament, the letters, the New Testament letters, it assumes, the writers assume that believers are active participants of a local church. Okay? Here's why I know this. Who was the book or the letter of Ephesians written to? The church in Ephesus. Okay? It was written to a local church in the city of Ephesus. Some of you guys think it was written specifically for you. But it was not. It was written to a local church of believers. Who do you think 1st and 2nd Corinthians was written to? The church in Corinth, okay? These letters were written to communities of people, not individuals. So when we take a scripture here and take a scripture there and we just apply it to ourselves without taking into context who the writers were actually writing it to, we can misread scripture and we can come up with a whole bunch of ideals that are unbiblical but sound good. And that's what the American church has done, unfortunately. Let's, take the, let's go to the Old Testament and take the famous story of David and Goliath, for instance. And I, I've done this. I've preached this way. Most American Christians in that story, who do we view ourselves as? We view ourselves as the hero. We view ourselves as David, where the, the Israelite soldiers, they were all cowards. They're all wimpy. They're all to the side. They were scared to face the giant. But I am David. I would have done what David did. I would have grabbed them stones and threw them at Goliath and killed Goliath. And we preach it this way. I preach it this way that we are all Davids and we're killing the Goliaths in our lives. But that is not actually the truth. All of us are actually the scared, cowardly Israelites on the side. And we, we've needed a David to defeat Goliath. We've needed the David, which is Jesus, to defeat fear, to defeat unbelief, to defeat doubt. But because we grow up watching these movies where one person saves the entire day, okay? They de defy odds and they, they, they save the entire day. We view ourselves through the lens of the hero, but Jesus is the hero. We're just a bunch of cowards that are saved by grace. We're just a bunch of scaredy cats that couldn't, we couldn't defeat Goliath in our own strength. We need the power of the Spirit. We need the power of God in our life. And when we have the Spirit in us, He makes us bold and He makes us courageous. And I ain't going to lie, viewing ourselves as David makes for good preaching, but not totally accurate theology. We're talking about why more people don't attend church regularly or why isn't church more of a priority to people 
And number two, people say that the church is full of hypocrites. Have you ever heard someone say that? I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Maybe you guys have said that. <clears throat> I've on, I, honestly, I've never said that, but it's, it's all good. I've said a lot of other bad stuff, but I have not said that one. But I do understand why someone would think that or say that sometimes. Uh, and they'll say the church is full of hypocrites, and then they'll point to all of the moral failures in the church. Or then they'll point to the church just wants all of my money, right? And in full disclosure, I will admit that people who say this aren't entirely wrong. There have been a lot of headlines in the news over the years where it talks about another pastor or another leader in the church that have had to step down from their church because of a moral failure. And I have personally spoken to many, many people who were personally affected by the sexual misconduct of someone in leadership at their church. I've heard of churches that were devastated and destroyed because of moral failure. And when people say the church just wants my money, I don't think it's so much about churches asking for money. I think it's about how they perceive pastors and churches are spending the money that they're giving. Okay? Uh, for example, there's an entire Instagram page dedicated to showing pictures of, of, of preachers in their designer shoes and clothes. And there are preachers in sneakers that are worth thousands and thousands of dollars. And I'm not opposed to people in the ministry having nice things, okay? I'm not opposed to that at all. But we have to be careful challenging the church to be generous when we're strolling up to the stage in an outfit that costs the people we're asking money for five or six months of rent to pay for what we have on our bodies. We just got to be careful about the optics of what it looks like. My shoes, I got them on sale at uh, Dillard's on New Year's Eve. 60% off, baby. Okay, my Cole Haan sneakers, 60% off. I paid like 30 bucks for so I'm not going to be on preachers and sneakers. My belt, my belt, I've had literally for 10 years. I've stayed semi in shape. I can still fit in it. So I, I'm, I'm happy to wear it until it wears out, okay? Um, <laughs> but here's the other side of the story. We hear about the pastors who have moral failures, yet we never hear about the majority of pastors who have been faithful to their spouse and integral with their church finances for decades and decades and decades and decades. We only hear about the, the train wrecks, don't we? And because we live in a clickbait culture, we tend to only hear about the negative while ignoring all of the positive things that the body of Christ is doing in our world. You know, because we don't really care about the churches and ministry giving millions of dollars to missionaries and missions works overseas to preach the gospel in dark places. We don't really care about hearing about churches putting millions of dollars back into their communities and who are fighting poverty from a grassroots level. We only hear about the negative stuff. We only hear about the bad stuff. We only hear about the stuff that'll make the headlines. All right, so I'm finally going to get to a Bible verse in my sermon today. Our text is, is found in Acts chapter number 20, and we're going to be reading quite a few verses. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 38, so it'll be up on the screen for uh, you to read along. Uh, and in this passage, just to give you a little context, uh, Luke is the author, and he is recording the Apostle Paul's conversation with the elders of the local church of Ephesus. Uh, 
This church in Ephesus is a church that Paul, the apostle, himself planted. Uh, the elders that he's talking to in this passage are people uh, who Paul had an intimate connection with, who Paul probably led to the Lord, who Paul probably discipled and mentored and trained, okay? Uh, and he had been with them preaching and teaching and laying a groundwork for three years before he left the church in the hands of these elders. And so he was about 30 to 50 miles away from them at this time. And so he called for them to come up and meet him. And he, and he was having a conversation with them. And that's what they record here in Acts chapter 20. And starting with verse 17, it says this, But when we landed at Miletus, he, and the he in the story is the Apostle Paul, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. The Apostle Paul didn't view the local church as optional. Okay? He tells the elders of the Ephesian church that he has done the work of ministry in establishing churches and preaching the gospel in tears. He said, I've been doing this work of establishing and building this church in tears. It has brought me to tears. He told them that this work caused him to suffer and go through many trials and through many tribulations and through many hardships and through many difficulties. Paul paid a price for these local churches he established. He paid a price. Every church Paul planted came with a cost. It came with blood. It came with sweat. It came with, it, it, it came with tears. It wasn't just handed to him. He had to pay a price for everything he did in the kingdom of God. It came with loss. It came with attack. It wasn't easy peasy. It came with a price. Now, thousands of years later, we talk about Paul as this amazing apostle and, and this, uh, this, this brilliant man and how he started all of these churches, but it didn't come without a cause. The local church is deeply personal to God because it is made up of people whom he deeply loves. He deeply loves you and I. Jesus is deeply committed to you and to your well-being. And if the church is deeply important to Jesus and deeply important to Paul, shouldn't it be deeply important to you and me as well? To be transparent with you today, Planting and establishing this church the last four years at times has brought me to literal tears. I don't cry very often. If I'm watching sports highlights or whatever, I'll tear up a little bit. But other than that, <laughs> the birth of my son, I went nuts and I was snot was all running down my face and all that stuff. Uh, Avio, it was a little more intense situation, so I was a little more concerned and a little more focused. But with him, once he came out, Man, I was just, but I don't cry all often, but at times the church, planting this church, establishing this church, it has brought me to literal tears. I know that there are certain attacks, struggles, and hardships that me and my family have faced specifically because we are planting this church. Like if we were not planting this church, we would not go through some of the things that we have gone through the last four years. So a lot of things that we will never tell you guys about that we've gone through. There's been a cost. There's been a price. 
My family has sacrificed money, sacrificed comfort, sacrificed proximity to family in order to establish the Grace Place NYC. And this work is deeply personal to me because I have paid a price for it, because I have paid a cost for it. So when people treat flippantly what me and my family have paid a high price for, it hurts. Right? When people treat unimportant what I treat with utmost importance, it hurts. There's a reason why I'm so intense about planting this church, why I'm so intense about this ministry. It's because I've seen the cost and I said, you know what, God, I'm willing to pay the price because you have called me to do this. I'm willing to go through the struggles. I'm willing to go through the attacks. I'm willing to go through the things that me and my family are going through because you have called me to this work. And so if you are not on a mission that brings you to tears sometimes, I don't think you're committed enough. Verse 20, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear either publicly or in your homes. This is Paul talking to the elders. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. The local church is designed for the men and women of God that he has placed in leadership to tell you what you need to hear. Not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. See, sometimes some of the sermons, some of the messages, some of the, 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 the conversations that you have, it's going to be uncomfortable and you might get offended, you might get challenged, you might get stretched because that is what God designed the church to be, to give you the words that you need to hear, not always what you want to hear, not what you think you should hear, but what the Spirit wants you to hear. What many people do is that when they hear something in their local congregation that doesn't fit into their individualistic narrative, they bolt. And they go try to find some place else that will, that will cater to, to all of their needs and desires and wants instead of stretching themselves and challenging themselves. And when you bolt, you miss out on something very important you need, and that is spiritual growth. Every time you bolt because something's too hard, you miss out, you miss out on spiritual growth in your life every single time. Spiritual growth doesn't come without being challenged, without being stretched, without being critiqued, okay? Let's continue on, verse 22. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. Did you pick up on that? Paul said, you are not going to ever see me again because where, where the Spirit's going to take me, it's, it's going to be the end of my life. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, His church, purchased with His own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. 
I can't emphasize enough that when someone says, I like Jesus, but I don't like anything to do with his church, I don't think Jesus takes that as a compliment. I don't think Jesus is up in heaven saying, oh, shucks, he, they like me, but don't like my church. I, I don't think that's Jesus's attitude or perspective because Jesus sacrificed everything for his church. He gave his life for his church. He laid the foundation of the church with his literal blood, sweat, and tears in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will, Father, but your will be done. And he allowed himself to be captured. He allowed himself to be betrayed. And he allowed himself to ultimately be put on a cross and killed for us and for the establishment of his church. And let me ask you something else. Paul told the elders here that if anyone suffers eternal death on your watch, it's not my fault because I didn't shrink away from telling you everything God wants you to know. And that part really, really challenged me. He shared the gospel with them. He discipled them. He exemplified Christ to these people that he was speaking to. Let me ask you a question. Is that true of those whom you rub shoulders with week in and week out? In other words, if those around you suffer eternal death, can you with a clear conscience say that it's not my fault because I shared the gospel with them and I lived out the gospel in front of them? Man, that challenged me so deeply this week. Because although I do share the gospel, although I do live it out, there are, there are people inevitably around me that maybe I need to do a better job of it or I need to be more clear. Or I need to pray more for them. Whatever it may be, it, this, this part challenged me that if, that, that, that if someone around me were to die and, and suffer eternal punishment, would their blood be on my hands? Did I do everything in my power? Did you do everything in your power to let them know about the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you live your life in a way that reflected God's love to everyone around you? Can you say that about your coworkers? Can you say that about your neighbors? Can you say that about family members? Can you say that about people that you go to the gym with? Can, can, you, can you say that about the, the, the you know, wh wherever you go, can you say that about the people around you that you've done everything that you can to share and exemplify the love of Jesus with them? And I know this is heavy stuff, but something we all need to hear and ask ourselves. Verse 29, I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in after you, among you after I leave, sorry, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day and my many tears for you. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. You see, church, when you're connected to something bigger than yourself, it keeps you from falling into false teaching. Yeah. There are a lot of false teachers out there that if you follow their teaching, they'll lead you down a very, very bad path. Church community provides accountability to the word of God. Okay? For example, if one of you starts straying down a dangerous path of false doctrine, it is our job to grab you and pull you back into the fold. Right. Say, you're straying. You're, you're going down a path that's going to be destructive, and, 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 and I want to help you get back on the right path. Okay? 
People who are not planted in a local church are susceptible to following whatever the latest whims in Christian teaching are. And some of those whims can be very unbiblical, okay? Like the prosperity gospel that basically tells you that God wants you to be rich. And if you aren't wealthy, it's because there is a lack of faith in you and there's something in you that's wrong. And people, man, they, they, are, they, they go through devastation, spiritual devastation, when they adhere to this kind of doctrine. I've been in a church that preached the prosperity gospel. And, and, and people that were just making it, barely making it, paycheck to paycheck, which that, that, that some, some people are just in that stage of life. They felt like there was something spiritually wrong with them. Or cessationism, which is the doctrine that the gifts of the Spirit are no longer active, that miracles and signs and wonders no longer exist, that healings no longer exist, that prophecy is no longer existent in the body of Christ. Or, or things like all faiths are worshiping the same God. So at the end of the day, as long as you belong to a religion, you're going to the same place. Or teachings that claim that you have to do something outside of faith in Jesus in order to be saved. Like you must be water baptized in order to be saved. Or you have to only read the King James Version of the Bible to truly be saved. Or you can't wear makeup and be saved. You know, when we're not accountable to something bigger, we can fall into all sorts of crazy, crazy, unbiblical doctrines. Let's move on. Verse 33. We're almost, we're almost finished here. I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I have been, in a, I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad, most of all, because he had said that they would never see him again. Then they escorted him down to the ship. From here, Paul went to Jerusalem. From Jerusalem, he went to Rome. And in Rome, he ended up being beheaded. So his words became true. They never saw him again. Can you hear the intimacy and the language being spoken here between Paul and the elders of this Ephesian local church? Can you feel the affection that these people had for one another? Uh, These people truly loved each other. The, The intimacy, the affection, the friendship, these are things that you get when you plant yourself in a local congregation. I'll never forget the Sunday that my pastor announced that uh, when we were on staff at, at our parent church, I'll never forget the Sunday that our pastor announced that we were going to be moving to New York City. Once the service ended, I had teenager after teenager come and embrace me with tears in their eyes, just bawling because of the bonds that we had created the last six years. It was so uh, such an emotional, emotional time for me. Those are things that happen when you plant yourself in a local church and you build relationships. You allow your roots to go deep. Paul was going to soon be killed. If I could have the worship team up. Paul was going to soon be killed for preaching the gospel. And he told them they weren't going to see each other again. You're not going to see me again. 
Yet Paul could be confident that what he started would continue because of these leaders that he had poured into and was now shedding tears with. He had shared life with them. He had shared the gospel with them. He had shared the word of God with them. He had shared experiences and moments with them. And in this last meeting that he was going to have with these elders that he had poured into, he was now sharing tears with them because he knew he was never going, they were never going to see each other again. The title of my message today is Church, In or Out? Let's be a church that's all in. Let's be a church that's all in on the transformation of people. Let's be a church that's all in on the transformation of our neighborhood. Let's be a church that's all in on bearing one another's burdens. Let's be a church that's all in on doing life together. The word for our church, the word that the Holy Spirit spoke to me at the beginning of the year. Let's be all in on being together, on being a family, at being connected, at connecting to the vision that God has given us and moving towards that vision. Let's be all in on being generous. Let's be all in on sharing the gospel with our friends, our family, our neighbors, our co-workers. Let's be all in on being the church outside of the four walls of a building. Let's be all in on meeting the needs of the local church by serving. Church, let's be all in. Let's not be halfway in and halfway out. Let's not be halfway committed, halfway uncommitted. Let's be all in and let's do this together. Amen? All right, let's stand, let's stand, let's stand.